greetings to everyone in podcast land, if there is such a place. And welcome back to the Yearbooking Report podcast. I'm Scott Geezy. Welcome back. Now, if somehow this is your first go-round, I'm a 20-year representative of Jostin's Yearbooks, also a lifelong journalist since I was in high school, and honored to be a certified journalism educator from the JEA. I love journalism, and I like working with kids. And, of course, teaching kids skills and new ideas, that's very important, not just for English and math and science, but also for journalism and writing and broadcasting and yearbooking. However, at this time of year, here we are in February going into March, we're more than halfway through the school year, high schools definitely, even middle schools and so on, we're entering that period of time things just start slowing down. Maybe it's got something to do with winter, you know, if you live in a cold climate, snowy, icy, and so on, just kind of dreary, not very nice. But I think probably almost anywhere, we're in this period where kids just getting them motivated to do things becomes a real challenge for most yearbook advisors. So in this month's episode of the Yearbooking Report, we're going to talk about student and staff motivation and how to get your kids not only working, but hopefully working, doing their best work. Recently, we had a chance to talk to Mitch Eden. Mitch is an outstanding veteran yearbook advisor from Kirkwood High School in Kirkwood, Missouri. Now, he has quite an operation there, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But he does an outstanding job of getting all those kids in his effort, in his program, working and working hard for their yearbook, also in their case for their student newspaper, and for their broadcast team, and for their social media outlets. So they're pretty busy at Kirkwood, but so busy sometimes that you need to do a little extra motivation to get everybody on the same page and everybody working hard. But how do you get there? Well, we spoke with Mitch recently on a very cold day outside, both at my end and at his end, as we started to share some ideas to help you with your effort. All right, first off, Mitch, we really appreciate you taking time to uh, to talk to us today, although we're, I'll be honest here, for, for folks tuning in, we're recording this at the end of January when the dreaded polar vortex has rolled in to the Midwest and then the Northeast. And Mitch, you don't even have school today, do you? No, today's a, a, what's called a cold day, not even a snow day. <laughs> well, in Pennsylvania, we also have folks taking cold days. So in Ohio and Michigan and New York and who knows where. Yikes. All right. First off, Mitch, um, you and I are both JEA members. And for folks who may be listening in who are also JEA members, I assume you know what the list serve is for those folks. It's the group email where I get to read about some fascinating discussions on all sorts of topics. And every now and then I see that you post something. So let's start from there. Tell us something about yourself. You know, where are you from? How long have you been teaching? How long have you been doing your book in journalism and so on? Sure, Scott. Um, thanks for having me on this cold day as well. Um, this is my 23rd year teaching. Uh, all 23 years I've been advising uh, media. Uh, the, the last 13 have been at Kirkwood High School in Kirkwood, Missouri, which is a suburb of St. Louis. Uh, at Kirkwood, I advise the Pioneer Yearbook, uh, the Kirkwood Call News Magazine, uh, the KirkwoodCall.com website, 
And then actually, I, I equate all the social media that come with those programs as kind of like advising a fourth program. It's, it's become that prominent in, in high school and professional media. So you and I have been at this both for about two decades. And before we started the interview, we, we sort of were remarking back and forth that things have really changed in two decades, podcasting and online video. Sometimes, Mitch, I look back to two decades ago and I actually wonder, how did we get anything done <laughs> back then? How do you see these last two decades, either when it comes to maybe journalism or just education in general, teaching and such? Is this really the same animal as two decades ago? Um, I, I guess the first part, journalism, I think the core has remained the same. And that core is uh, connecting with people and telling stories. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that changes. The, the law and ethics component remains the same. The fundamental need to be able to connect, uh, be curious, uh, and then tell stories remains the same. I, I think what has changed is how we're telling stories. And I think it's exciting because never before has there been a time when stories can be told in so many different ways, whether that's a traditional article uh, or a traditional photo gallery yearbook spread, or now it can be an Instagram post or a Snapchat story or a digital interactive timeline. So, so just the, the ways that stories are being told now uh, is pretty exciting. It's just giving kids more opportunities uh, to, to participate in media programs. And, and I think that's a great thing. T teaching in general, again, I, I think at the core, it's, it's the same. Uh, for me, it's, a, it's establishing relationships with kids, uh, getting to know them uh, outside of the classroom, what their interests are, what their passions are. It's about building trust. Well, once teachers or advisors uh, can build trust with their students, those students then buy into to what you're trying to present to them and how you educate them. Well, I've been involved with, in media for, well, come, God forbid, coming up on four decades now uh, since I was in high school. Uh, an opinion, Mitch. Sometimes when I'm working with students and sometimes I get a chance to do a little volunteer work with broadcast at a school because it's fun for me, or newspaper maybe at a school, all those things that you just mentioned a minute ago, I agree, they're exciting, they're awesome. Sometimes I wonder, is it possible we could actually be overloading students? There are so many different venues now, whereas when we started a couple decades ago, there was primarily the yearbook and the newspaper, and that was about it. Right, and that's a good point, and I think it could be, potentially. However, I think exposing the kids to all of these different avenues to tell stories is important, and then letting them gravitate toward what they're most interested in or where their strengths lie. But I think they should all understand, try, fail, uh, and, and then they can pick and choose. On, on most of my staffs, I do have kids who kind of gravitate toward being a writer or a photographer or a designer or a videographer. And then about 10, 15% are my floaters. They will just go to digital, back to print, uh, to, to video, to photo. Uh, so I think it, exposing and educating them on all these 
different mediums is important, but then letting them choose after that. I think that might help not overload them, but let them feel comfortable and kind of settle in. All right, let's segue into sort of our main topic for this discussion this time, and it's staff motivation. You just talked about your kids. I get a chance to work with lots of kids, too. Recently, and this isn't new, I've heard from a number of advisors saying, Scott, I'm having a harder time motivating kids to get their work done or to get excited or to you know, show enthusiasm and really go out there and work hard. Let me start there, Mitch, because you're a veteran advisor, uh, granted in a different place, Missouri, I'm in Pennsylvania. Um, do you see that? Motivation problems with kids? Uh, a little bit. And I think it's probably part of the generation that gets the immediate fix. Uh, everything is instantaneous now. Uh, we don't allow ourselves to be bored anymore, uh, adults included. Uh, if we're bored, what do we automatically do? We look down at our phone and start swiping. We're going here, going there. Uh, so we're not allowing ourselves to have a chance to think or be creative. We want instant satisfaction and gratification. I think, I think that's translating to the kids. And then the trickle-down effect is keeping them satisfied and gratified in class. So uh, while it's a little bit more challenging, I think at the core again, uh, I think motivation has to be intrinsic. Uh, and by that I mean it has to come within the kid, but I think the ownership has to be uh, editor and student leader driven. Uh, the, the advisor, the teacher has to give the keys to the leaders of the program and they have to be the ones kind of organizing the fun, planning the fun, so to speak, so that the staff remains motivated. So we need to let boredom be okay. <laughs> I, I really, we, part of our motivation is we have started a uh, phone-free Fridays in our program. Uh, kid, kids have stopped allowing themselves to be bored, and the most creative process, the most create time you're creative is when you're bored, when you're you allow your mind to just wander a little bit, and we stop doing that. So, so I think that needs to be integrated into your program, uh, so the kids do have a chance to start thinking and collaborating and just being creative. That's a great idea. I guess I, I've never really thought of it that way, but that's a great idea. Yeah. We also, Let me. We also, I have a couple friends who also uh, have started practicing mindfulness uh, in classes, uh, just kind of turning down the lights, shutting off uh, sound, and allowing kids just to kind of think. Uh, we do yoga, yearbook yoga, on Fridays every once in a while too, where we just kind of relax and just take a break uh, because now more than ever, I think the fun, as ironic as it sounds, the fun and the relaxation needs to be scheduled. Uh, kids these days have schedules uh, more busy than adults. They have planners. <laughs> They're toted from here to there. Everything's year round, whether that's uh, music, uh, athletics, um, whatever. So, so I think Yearbook, newspaper, journalism in particular needs to be a part of that schedule. Now, I'm just curious, what's the reaction from the kids from all those things you just described? Um, again, I, I get buy-in from most all of my staffers. 
it's not anything that I just uh, surprise them with. Uh, I, I work very closely with my top leaders of the program, the top editors, and we discuss what we think is best for the for the the staff. And we go back to the staff and we talk to them and get their input. And then when we schedule and plan these activities, it's always in the best interest of the collective good. Uh, so so I get buy-in. Uh, so, some things fail, uh, but you're going to have that when you, you try new things. But for the most part, the kids love our family Fridays. That's what we call them. We do, we do a motivational, fun family Friday activity every week, whether that's a quick uh, minute to win it game because we're on deadline and we need class time to work, or whether that's an entire hour of yearbook yoga. Uh, but every Friday, I think it's important to keep that family concept and that culture built inside your, your journalism program. We'll get back to more with Mitch Eden, advisor from Kirkwood High School in Missouri here in just a bit. Let's give a quick free plug for our yearbooking report video. Get a chance to check that out on YouTube. Just do a search for yearbooking. Only one thing pops up for that. Watch the episode and you'll see some clips not only of Mitch talking about student motivation, but also some clips of his facility and his kids. It is absolutely phenomenal what they're doing there. Wow. Wish I had something like that when I was in school. But anyway, watch the video sometime when you get a chance. Now, hopefully you're listening to this in February. This is the last call for the annual Jostens Photo Contest. The deadline is March 1st. So if you're listening in March, sorry, you're out. But if you're listening in February and you haven't entered yet, it's not too late. Go to either jostensphotocontest.com or jostens.com slash photo contest. Either one works. Make sure you download the rules. There may be a thing or two you have to do about getting permissions of people that you picture. And then enter. The worst that happens is nothing. The best that happens, hey, we got some really terrific prizes again with the contest this year. And some very special showings. One at an art gallery in New York City. Another at another teen competition coming up later this year. And of course, pictures make our annual Justin's Lookbook. So goodness sakes, there's lots of reasons there. Even if you just enter one image, why not try? In my travels, I've seen some terrific pictures so far. So come on, don't sit there. You've got to enter. It's free. It's all done online. It's easy to do. But March 1 is the deadline. So please, students, do it. Come on, do it. Jostensphotocontest.com or jostens.com slash photocontest. Right now, let's get back to more of our interview on motivation with Mitch Eden. All right, now let me diverge just a little bit. Let's talk about the adults. All right, now I don't know, I don't know Missouri. I, I know Pennsylvania. And there are a good number of schools in Pennsylvania that are really struggling right now. It could be a number of reasons. It could be financial, economic, um, just staff morale is not that great. Now, I don't know anything about Missouri. What's it like where you are? Um, I think education nationwide has taken a hit. Um, the current climate has not been positive the last few years. Uh, education in general funding has been being taken away. It's being stripped. Um, teacher shortages are being reported. Teacher pay. 
uh, things are put on their plates even more and more. Um, Missouri, and in my case in particular, uh, I'm blessed to be in a great district. Uh, I have a great administrator who supports teachers, values what they do, and kind of shields them from a lot of things. But, but I do see a lot of my colleagues across the country struggling. I see others who have this awesome priority filter. And I think that's the key in education right now is for teachers to develop a quality priority filter. There, there are some things in every profession that are, that are not pleasant or you don't look forward to. You got to be able just to, to get through those, uh, not make those the top things of your day, um, but, but recognize them, uh, do them, and then move on to what uh, you enjoy and what uh, drives you and what uh, makes your, you passionate, and that's really the kids. So if you can have a good priority filter, if you can make sure uh, what you're doing is connecting with young adults, uh, I think the energy you bring just triples when you can when you can have that priority filter and just connect with kids. All right, so let's sort of swing back to journalism now, student journalism, sort of an open-ended question, whether if it's yearbook or newspaper or maybe a broadcast team or something. When a school has those things, can they make a real um, positive change. I'm talking about in the entire life of a school, not just the yearbook per se, the whole life of the school. Can a well-run student journalism effort make any kind of a positive difference? Uh, yes, and I don't think it stops at the school. I think it can trickle out into your community, uh, to the public. Uh, what journalism kids have is an amazing power. Uh, when they're empowered to be able to tell stories and do real journalism, that's an amazing connection tool that they can use to connect with peers and then the outward community. Uh, with that comes awesome responsibility, but, but to be able to connect, and that's one thing lacking with teenagers today, and a lot of it has to do with technology. Uh, teenagers today are connecting less and less with their peers physically. Uh, they feel like they're connecting because of their phones, uh, but, but really the, the interpersonal communication skills are eroding. Journalism students get to practice this, and that puts them so far ahead of their peers too. But, but once they practice it, they're able to connect with their peers inside the school building and then tell stories. And what telling stories does, it, it creates a community of, of understanding, of caring, uh, and then that connectedness uh, supplies uh, a tolerance, an understanding, and an education. And that culture does spread. And I emphasize to my kids all the time what an amazing uh, responsibility they have in being those leaders of not only the school but the outward community by telling stories that matter, telling the truth, and all that leads to education and compassion and, and a little bit more understanding. Now, Mitch, I'm just curious, does your school district still teach handwriting? In other words, do kids still le learn cursive writing, or is that out the window like it is in too many other schools? You know what? I don't know. Um, that's a great question. Uh, I'd have to look in the elementary curriculum if they still do handwriting or not. I know the kids I have now can still write. Um, however, we're we're blessed to be a one-to-one -one school, so all the kids are using technology more than pen to paper. 
Um, that's a great question. I'm just curious because I agree with you. You mentioned earlier, somehow we've allowed the gadgets to kind of take over. And I agree with you. Sometimes there's a lot of negative stuff in there. Right. Something as simple as being able to write your name or write a cursive letter seems so simple, but that attachment you talked about, attachment between people and so on, okay, texting doesn't do that. You have to write them a note. And I'm just when I get a chance, I like to ask folks, do you still teach handwriting in your school? And most folks say no. <laughs> like, um, okay. You mentioned handwriting and writing notes. Uh, part of our building a culture in our journalism program at the end of each month, at the end of each cycle, uh, so for my Newsmag staff, it's producing an issue. For my yearbook staff, it's completing a, a batch of spreads. Uh, we require each staff member to write a handwritten thank you note to someone else, uh, thanking them for their help during the last three to four weeks. It could be somebody who just brightened their day. It could be somebody who covered for them at an event. But, but I think that uh, thank you note is a lost art and it kind of is a great culture builder, a motivational builder. And when it started as an assignment, now it's just kind of part of the culture and the kids just kind of do it without being asked. And it's a pretty neat thing. I like that idea. I like that a lot. All right, back to motivation. Now, you sound like you have a very well-organized effort at your end. And frankly, Mitch, my observation over two decades is a lot of yearbook staffs really aren't that well organized they, for various reasons, just aren't. How important is good, when we're talking about motivation now, getting kids to do what we need them to do, how important is organization when it comes to all of that? Yeah, I think it's probably the most critical element. Uh, again, it's ironic, but you do have to plan the fun. Um, but, but I do share with my staffs that fun doesn't happen unless we're on the mark. If we're not meeting deadlines, if we're not together, if we're always picking up pieces the last time we have uh, for these fun activities. But I think that tone uh, has to be set early and I think it does need to be organized and really organized by your top editors. So, so within a production schedule, a production cycle, they need to be planning these events on calendars, on weekly organizers so that there is time set aside. Uh, I have an activities editor, in fact. That's how important it is in our program. And this editor is in charge with coming up with the, the week's games or activities or making sure the thank you notes are being passed uh, back in a timely manner. So, so getting some leaders on board is critical and organization is paramount to make this happen. All right, Mitch, let's get the Cliff Notes version, so to speak. How is your group organized? Briefly tell us how you have your staff organized. Um, do you want yearbook or news mag? Well, let's stick with yearbook since we're sort of a yearbook company. Well, let's go that route. Okay, so my yearbook staff is about 85 people. And, and the quick flow chart is I have three editors-in-chief, uh, two managing editors, I have a team of two, and they're my proofs and concept team. They help oversee kind of the proofs that come in and out and that everything is being, our theme and concept is being um, kind of taken care of throughout the book. And then I have staff editors. So I have uh, three writing editors, three photo editors, three design editors. And under them are the staffers. 
who kind of worked to compile the book and the spreads. And then I have separate social media editors, activity editor, uh, and a business editor. Now, it sounds like you're obviously at the top of the chain, but you have kids taking active responsibility to do a lot of the decision making. It's not just you and 85 kids. It's you and this hierarchy. How much responsibility do you give to the kids? I give it all. Um, and it, it may look weird from the outside, but I have, when the bell rings, I haven't started a class in more than a decade. Uh, the, the top editors begin class and they have an agenda and they go over notes or they do many lessons. Uh, they are in charge of all communications electronically and verbally. Uh, but this process starts as soon as they are uh, put in their positions in the spring for the following year. I work hand-in-hand -hand with the leadership team to ensure that they are prepared, uh, that they uh, we communicate daily. Um, I, I really try to be the best friend to my editors-in-chief. My goal is to remove distractions from their plate so that they can do their job. So I am preparing them by talking with them uh, and constantly giving them, them the tools to succeed. But, but then it's all on them. And, and it's, it's amazing once uh, the advisor gives their power away what happens to a program. That really is the key, I think, to just, just making sure your program is, is alive and full of energy and headed in a, a magical direction is giving the keys to the kids and, and what they will do for you they won't disappoint. Now you've been at this for two decades plus. Has it always been that way? Or was this something that kind of evolved over time? That's a great question because when I do talk to new advisors, uh, sometimes they I explain my program and the numbers or how we do things and they're not anything like it. And I was not like this 23 years ago. I had uh, inherited a staff of 12 kids and I was kind of in there right with them, uh, modeling by doing and really learning myself how this crazy yearbook world works. Um, and then slowly but surely, it was building a program. So at the beginning, one of my main roles was a, a recruiter. I would handwrite notes to kids who English teachers would recommend who are great writers or uh, photographers or designers or kids who could sell ads. So I, I was a recruiter. And then once numbers were where I liked them, then it was really working within the, the program itself to start building things. Uh, I always tell new advisors to, it's my rule of three, pick three things you would like your program to focus on and try to improve during the school year. And, and then the next year, pick three new ones. Those first three should be established. Uh, they're part of, they're ingrained in your culture. They're good to go. Next year, pick three more. Uh, too many advisors try to go from zero to 100 in one year, uh, or they overshoot and they pick 10 things and none of them get done. But, but slowly but surely, you can start to build a program, and slowly but surely, you can start giving away your power to these editors to take over. Now, on my best days, I get to go in and just hang out with great kids. Um, but it definitely wasn't like that when I started. We'll 
return to our final interview segment with our friend and advisor Mitch Eden from Kirkwood, Missouri, coming up in just a moment. All right, here we are, February, March, for spring yearbooks. If you haven't hit it already, your final deadline is coming up fast, and yes, you need to nail that one. Every year we see some schools, they just kind of slide and slide, and books aren't done, weeks late, and then, oh, we got to hurry up and get our books on time before school's out. Well, that can be kind of difficult and sometimes a little pricey because we have to get things back on time. And like a lot of other jobs, that means overtime. Now, folks, as far as I'm concerned, that's wasted money. Come on. You got to hit those deadlines. You do it with every other class. Let's do it with your book. Now, if you're listening right now and you're behind schedule, the thought here is to redouble your efforts from now until your final deadline. Nail it, and then you're probably in a much better situation. Now, if you're doing everything great, you're right on schedule. The key is stay on schedule. We can almost guarantee, not almost, we can guarantee that if you nail your deadlines, all of them, you're definitely going to have your books on time. In fact, more more often than not, you're going to have your books early, which a lot of people, of course, really appreciate. But you got to do your part. So if you're a spring yearbook school and you're working hard, I hope you are, keep working hard. Maybe you haven't been working all that hard. It's time to start working hard, all right? Maybe use some of the motivation techniques that our friend Mitch Eden is talking about in the podcast here today. It's not too late to do some things to get started, and food is always the best motivator. It's amazing. So let's get on schedule. Let's get done on time. Very important, and people are going to love your book. Now let's get back to our final segment with Mitch Eden. Now we're talking about motivation, and you've shared some great ideas so far. Let me just throw it open. What, What are one or two other interesting ideas that you use or strategies to motivate your kids to not only do their work, but hopefully to do their best work. What are some thoughts? Um, We do a lot of different things. Uh, One thing we do is I I think you have to celebrate. Um, Yearbook's a tough, a tough thing. The kids have amazing fortitude to work all year on this huge project. And then in one day, the book comes out. Uh, So you have to, schedule rewards along the way. So after each deadline, we celebrate by recognizing uh, the top producers of the, of the month or of that deadline. So we'll recognize the top caption of the deadline, the top headline, or the top design. We'll give a, a spirit award for the deadline. So, so recognition is very powerful. Nothing's more powerful than praising uh, students in front of their peers. It's a great motivator. Uh, when we get together, we do a, a late night once a month to work on our spreads, and we'll do theme nights, uh, 80s night or Disney night, and we have uh, our parents bring us food. F- food is probably the, the biggest motivator for teenagers. That's no secret. So so any type of uh, reward like that is also uh, positive and keeps them going. Um, recognizing kids on social media is another powerful kind of newer motivation. Uh, so all of our programs promote our staffers of the week and our photos of the week via our social media. So not only is that motivating, but that's powerful branding for your program. Uh, really keeping your book and the weekly conversation of your student body is important so that it, it doesn't just become a one-day-year thing. It, it's, a, it's a weekly, sometimes daily thing in your school. Now, did you say earlier you have an 80s night? Yeah. 
So, so once a month, we hang out in the journalism lab uh, just to work on spreads. It's 50% work, 50% social and having fun. So on those nights, we have theme nights where the staff dresses up, uh, whether that's an 80s night. We just had twin night where kids would dress like another staffer and come. And at middle of the night, we pause and we give out the top three people for that particular theme night and give goofy awards. A lot of bad music, a lot of food, uh, but, a, but a great chance for kids to be together, not in the normal school day, in the normal school setting. And that goes a long way to building those relationships and building that trust they have in each other. And, and that, again, is the foundation of any, I think, good program, is that the kids trust each other and they don't want to let each other down. Grades are not a motivator. If they are, they're temporary. Once you establish in a yearbook culture and classroom, the kids don't want to let each other down you are headed in the right direction. And I'm lucky enough right now where that's what motivates my kids. It's not a grade. They just don't want to disappoint each other. Uh, they want to put out a phenomenal product that their peers are proud of, that gets them excited, and, and that they can say, I, I was part of something special that I couldn't have done by myself, but together with these other kids, uh, I was a part of, of something magical. I agree with all of that. The, the only reason I ask about 80s night, I was at a company function recently, and they had an 80s night. Now, this is, this is adults. People dressed up as Cindy Lauper, Pac-Man, right. MC Hammer. Okay. And I'm talking to my friends. I've said, I've tried to spend the last three decades getting away from the 80s, and here it is in my face. <laughs> now, somewhere in there, Mitch, there has to be food, right? Got to be food. Tons. What kind of food? Um, well, really any kind. And here, here's another secret. I, I tell new advisors, the best recruiting tool is that when I bring food, I like to pass it out when the bell rings when they leave so that they head out into the hallways with food. And kids always want to know, where did you get that? And when they say yearbook, <laughs> that's a great recruiting tool right there. Um, but but on, on late nights, we'll actually do dinners. We'll do potluck. Uh, pizza is always easy and convenient, um, but but even during class, the rewards are always uh, candy bars or or snacks. Um, but but food has to be a part of uh, your motivational culture. Yeah, folks, people run on food. Now that sounds like health class, but come on, people run on food, including kids. So okay, cool. Uh, Mitch, lots of great ideas, which I really appreciate. I got one more question. This is a little off the subject, just a little though. I mentioned at the top that you and I are both JEA members. I've been involved with, in journalism since I was in high school, and that was a long time ago, um, through the 80s, the, the dreaded 80s, the 90s, and so on, last 20 years now with Jostens. Um, but I know you're sort of a, I'll call you a bigwig when it comes to JEA. For maybe rookie advisors out there, or for folks who've just never thought about it, but they kind of like journalism, why should they join JEA? Why would a membership in that organization benefit them? Um, you know, for, for a lot of advisors, you're kind of on an island in your high school uh, or middle school. You're the only one doing what you do. And a lot of other educators, they don't understand what it takes or... Uh, what's involved. 
so that that education isn't there, even though you try sometimes. What an organization like JA does, and on a smaller level, maybe a local journalism organization, but JA provides just a, a community of support. Uh, whether that it comes in the form of a listserv, that you can just be kind of a lurker and pick up on topics of interest and just read and grab, or whether that's the, the JA curriculum, which is comprehensive and covers every aspect of journalism you can think of, from, and, and it covers daily to weekly to monthly to quarter to semester units on photography, web design, anything you can think of. Just being a, a member of that professional organization, I think, is so important that you have these resources at your fingertips and that you have other people in the country who just understand what you're doing and what you're going through. Here where I am in Pennsylvania, there is a statewide organization. Uh, if I'm correct, Missouri has something like that, I believe, right? Yeah, so Missouri has a local, or St. Louis has a local organization, uh, Journalism STL. And then we have a state organization, the Missouri Journalism Education Association. So every state has an organization and has a state director uh, who JEA, uh, under JEA. And that'd be a first place to, to try to connect would be with your state director. And that person could, can connect you to all of the resources we talked about. I, I think the curriculum alone is worth the membership price, which I would have to check, but I think it's around $80 a year or $70 a year. I would call that money well spent because, uh, and if I'm correct, the curriculum is relatively new and actual, this didn't come from some, you know, like textbook company or something. JEA members, people in the field put this stuff together, I think just over the last two to three years. So we're not talking old material, right, Mitch? This is relatively new stuff. Yeah, the curriculum was just rolled out less than two years ago, and they actually meet annually to update and make sure that uh, all the, the subject areas are relevant and the material is fresh. So, so they have up-to-date curriculum even on things like social media as well as your traditional you know, reporting and writing and core design. Um, but, but everything's amazing. It really is a lot of uh, time and resources were put into it. Summits were held where uh, advisors from across the country would fly into a location just to be able to talk and collaborate and make sure this curriculum was, wasn't just for show, it, it's helpful. And it, I use it constantly. Uh, it's, it's a great tool just to uh, provide a, a support system for you when, when sometimes you're looking or sometimes you feel like you're on your own in, in your school. This, this just provides a good resource. So for anybody, rookie folks out there maybe listening or even veteran folks, um, it's worth a check. Uh, JEA.org, free plug for them, because Mitch, I think you and I are in a complete agreement. Student journalism is so important today, maybe more than ever, and somehow maybe in our yearbook world, if we so just go for that, we need to find ways to get kids really plugged into that and interested in that. I know some advisors sometimes refer to journalism and yearbook. Uh, yearbook is journalism. And when you can show kids that what they're doing is gaining transferable skills, uh, how to collaborate, communicate, critically think, those are the skills colleges want, employers want, 
and and they're doing this by being part of a huge project management task that from day one they start from scratch and they build build something that's real and authentic and it takes time and all of those skills that I mentioned and when you can show them that what they're doing can be applied to any direction they're headed sometimes that's a key buy-in for some kids who might dismiss it when they just hear oh yearbook Mitch I really appreciate you taking some time today I'd love to meet you sometime maybe at some I don't know, JEA function or something like that. But uh, stay warm where you are, and uh, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you very much for having me, Scott. It was a pleasure talking to you. Boy, that was some really great advice and tips and ideas from our friend Mitch Eden. A big thank you to him. And it's not too late to start doing some stuff maybe already here, February, March. Some of those things that Mitch talked about clearly is more of a whole year thing. And so you might be looking ahead to the fall. It's certainly not too early to start doing some planning for that. I love the idea of the activities director. If you have a good sized staff, maybe you've got one person on staff, they're really into that sort of thing. They like to organize games and motivational tips and all that sort of thing. Why not have an activities director? That's a great idea because it benefits the entire staff and, of course, then your entire effort. So a big thank you again to our friend Mitch Eden from Kirkwood High School in Missouri. And once again, check out our yearbooking report video on YouTube for February. Check out some of the views of the Kirkwood Journalism Department. Wow, wow, wow. Would love to have that. But again, that's not the most important thing. It's great to have. The most important thing is to have a very well-organized and a very well-motivated staff, no matter your size, no matter your school, to turn out the best yearbook that you can do. Folks, thanks again for listening to the Yearbooking Report podcast.